0: Good morning, welcome to the Vineyard. I love that promo intro. Do you guys remember Tim the Toolman Taylor? Do you remember that show Home Improvement? I grew up on it. It makes me think of Home Improvement every time. I'm so excited. Good morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Jesse. I'm so excited to see you here and welcome to the Vineyard. We're happy that you're joining us for worship. If this is your first time or you're newish, and I am thrilled to get to speak to you. Pastor Joe and Pastor Janice are. Suffering for Jesus at the Miami Vineyard this morning, those sunburns can be tough. Let's not take it for granted what he's doing for God. No, really, they took a, a short vacation for their anniversary, and we're so happy and excited to hear what God is pouring into him while they get refreshed and then come back. And you do not want to miss next week. He is going to be back full force and unveiling Vineyard's Word for 2019. Now, you may be one of those people that do words. I love doing words, like, what's my word? What what direction do I feel like God wants me to focus on? And last year, Vineyard, our word, if you may remember, was deeper. Everything was hashtag deeper 2018. And this uh, coming week, he's going to unveil the direction he feels God pressing us into for 2019. So you do not want to miss it. You can come back and, and hear him speak about that next week. But today, as I started praying about what message God wanted me to, to tell you, I went and had some quiet time. And I was just like, God, what, what? you knew I was going to preach on this day. What do you want me to say to the people that you knew would be in this room? And I felt like he said, tell them I love them. And I thought, no, that's dumb. No, not doing that. that's like, everybody knows that. We've, we, uh, I mean, tell me you don't know every word to Jesus loves me, and you didn't learn it as a child, or it encompasses the whole Bible, and we get it, like, you, you love us. That's, but what, what else, God, what else? And I went back, and he said, tell them I love them. And again, we did this again with God. I'm, I'm so, like, hard of hearing with God sometimes. But I went back, and again, he said, tell them I love them. So that's what I'm here to tell you this morning the God that is so often misunderstood as angry, the God you may be angry at, the God you may not understand because the Bible can can feel confusing at times, the God who created the entire universe, who saw vast nothingness and decided to create everything that exists, that God sees you today. He sees where you are. He sees what's happened to you. He sees what you've done. And he loves you. He adores you. So let's pray for this message before we jump into our scripture. God, I just come before you and I thank you for each person here. Lord, you knew that we would be here in this room on this day at this time. And Lord, I just pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit here. That every word that comes off of this stage would be yours and no one else's. God, that you would open up our hearts to hear what a message you have specifically for each person here. That we would leave here and be changed. We don't want to come in and leave the same way that we walked in, God. We want to leave here knowing you more. So please just have your way today. We glorify your name. Amen. Okay, so we are going to jump into one of my favorite books of the Bible, and this might come as a shock to you, but it's Hosea. I love the book of Hosea. Ever since I read, um, when I was in high school, I read a book called Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers, which is like a fictional account of the book of Hosea. I highly recommend it if you are over the age of 16, because adult themes you know, the Bible is not rated G, friends. It's, it's a little bit lo- more than that. But the book of Hosea is what's called, it's a minor prophet. So behind Psalms, back a few b- b- big books, this is where I always have to go to the concordance to find where I'm going. There's a whole bunch of guys' names, like Nahum and Amos and all these weirdos, Malachi. They're all like tr- crumbled together, and they're called the minor prophets. And I used to think this meant that they like didn't quite make it to the major leagues. They weren't quite good enough, but it actually, minor prophet comes from just the shortness of their books. They're just smaller letters, but a prophet in those days was the way that God spoke to his people. Now, unfortunately, these guys usually didn't have good messages because if they had good messages, it would mean that Israel paid attention to what God already said in his word, and clearly they weren't, so now he's having to bring these guys out, but Hosea is one of those prophets. So we're going to start, you're not going to see it on the screen, but if you want to get ready, you're welcome to have your smartphone out, to take notes, to bring, get out your Bibles, but we're going to be in Hosea 2 in a second. But Hosea 1, verse 2, says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, so this very first message, this is a big deal, Hosea is ready. I just imagine him on the edge of his seat, God is speaking to him, he has chosen, this is, this is it, go marry Yes, every single person here was like, that's a word from the Lord right there for me. God spoke to me, and he said, go marry. I will do it, Lord. I will do it for you. A promiscuous woman, and have children with her. (laughs) For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And now I imagine Hosea taking a deep step back you know lord i really didn't ask for this calling i'm i'm not sure i'm built for marriage maybe i feel called to singleness god but here he is and this is what god has said go marry someone who will cheat on you not just someone who will cheat on you she had to already have a reputation for that some people think she might have been a prostitute Some think, people think she might have just been you know not so discerning in her choices But the point is, he married this woman, he married Gomer, and in the first chapter, we see him obey God, he marries her, and they have three children, and they get horrible names, names like, you know, I will punish you, and God is mad, and just, it's just really, a lot of Hosea is a big bummer, I just got to be honest with you. But this is because God wanted a physical example of how much he loves and is mistreated, by the unfaithfulness of Israel. And sometimes I am that Israel. I know I am. And we are, and there's so much that we can learn about God as we read the way that he deals with Israel. Now, Israel at this point has begun to, begun to worship other gods. They are, they're off the deep end. They are they're prosperous, they're doing well, and like we can be sometimes, they just think they're awesome. Like, look what I can do. We're attributing all of our prosperity and our wealth and all our good things to our brains. Look, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I worked hard, and I deserve the pay that I got, and I'm awesome. And to make matters worse, they've taken on idol worship. In addition to that. So they've taken the silver and the gold that they're making, they have joined with the pagan community around them, and now not only have they become self-absorbed, greedy, oppressive, they mistreat those less fortunate than them, they're now also taking part in prostitution and human sacrifice as part of their worship to Baal, and God is done. You see, over and over in Hosea, God is livid and he is heartbroken at the same time because of what he sees. If you ever look at the world around you, at the injustice that is what humanity chooses sometimes, and you think God doesn't care, I invite you to read Hosea because he shows how he cares. The word justice is in there so many times because we serve a God of justice, but we also serve a God of love. So let's go to Hosea 2. We're going to read verses 5 and 6, 8, and then skip to 13 through 15 as God speaks to Israel and of Israel. She said, and he's talking about Israel, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for bale. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the bales. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Acor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. So a lot of the times when I read things like this or or really almost anything from the Old Testament, it just seems like God's got two personalities and he cannot make up his mind. And I just would feel better if I knew which one we're dealing with. Because here you have chapter after chapter and verse after verse of of God's anger and how upset he is. And he's, I'm going to punish her and I'm going to strip her of everything that she's got. And I'm going to wall her in with thorn bushes. And then all of a sudden he makes an about face and he's like, I'm going to, therefore, I'm going to lure her. I'm going to win her back in. I'm going to give her abundance and vineyards and things and take her back to her first love when I first saved her and she loved me with all of her heart. And I was wrestling with this in my mind and just trying to figure out the dichotomy as much as my little human brain can of God. And I looked down and I saw this. Oh, See, you guys did better the first verses. The first verses looked at him. Like... I know it's only the it's a face only a mother could love. He's been groomed, he looks cuter than that now, okay? I know he's, he kind of looks, he reminds me of Rocket from Guardians of the Galaxy. He's like a, like a rabbit raccoon type of thing that's happening here. But this is Poe, this is my dog. He is five years old, he's a cockapoo. The best part about him is that he does not shed. So I do not have to clean up all the hair like I do with our Rottweiler, Max, who is my husband's dog. But this is Poe, and he is so sweet, and he is so friendly, and he loves people, and he's a bit of a jumper, so I'm always having to tell people who come over, like, just shove him down, just don't put up with it, but nobody listens because he's so cute. But he loves people he loves to explore. Heavy emphasis on the word explore. From the minute he realized that females existed and that he could escape our yard, this dog has been a runner he's been gone. The second the doors open, he can burrow under any fence. He can leap tall buildings in a single bound. He can be gone 10 minutes and you're looking for an hour and a half. I cannot tell you how much time in my life in the last five years I have spent screaming his name out of a window of a van. It's ridiculous. And the problem is all the neighbors know too. I do not have that reputation, I I need to, I I need to do better, but I don't have that reputation of the neighbor that comes over and is like, I made you cookies. I'm the neighbor who's like slow rolling down the neighborhood, you know, PO! PO! And you know, my kids used to yell PO, and then I realized it sounded like no. And that might not be a good thing for us to be screaming through the neighborhood, so their windows stay rolled up. I mean, he's been brought home by the UPS man, The FedEx man, multiple mailmen. He has spent time downtown at a hair salon. The Humane Society is very familiar with this dog. I am constantly, like, I have the Neighbor app and the Humane Society, like, on a shortcut on my Facebook. Like, I just got to be checking. Did somebody post a picture of my dog? Because there he is. Of course, you know, now it's not so bad. People just call me. They know. Your dog just ran by my house again, so you should probably come out and look. And so God and I, now we have a system. I mean, first I yell at whatever kid may have let the dog out. Like, who let Poe out again? You know, like he shouldn't go to the bathroom or something. But then I jump in my car. I barely crack my windows. And I start slow rolling the neighborhood. And I'm like, God, I'm done with this. I am done with this dog. I don't, I don't think I care if he comes back today because I've had enough. It's been five years of this, multiple times a week. I'm done. If I find him as roadkill, so be it, Lord. You alone know what is right. But I have had it. I'm not going to scream. I'm not going to scream. I'm just going to use my eyes. I'm going to use my listening ears and my eyes, and that's all he's going to get. And if I find him, great. And if I don't, well, you must not have wanted me to have a dog because I'm tired of the neighbors thinking that I'm the most irresponsible mother they've ever met in their life. Now, cut to 10 minutes later. All the windows are rolled down, and I am bawling. All the tears. God, I just love this dog. I need him back. Who will sleep in my bed with me? He just loves me when no one else does. And I'm yelling his name, and people are like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with her? And, you know, and I just can't give up on him. I can't give up. I drive and drive and drive. I think the longest I've ever had to go was two hours. I did take a 15-minute break. But I cannot give up on this little dog. I, I, and God said, that kind of explains it, doesn't it? I'm so mad. I'm so mad that you did this again. But I love you. I love you. I don't love your running but Poe thinks he's got a big adventure to go on. He's out there. He is going to meet new people, probably girl dogs, and then he's going to eat weird things and roll around in them that he finds and smells really, really bad, and he is just going to have this great big life outside of our yard, and he doesn't know that I'm realizing that in 30 minutes, it's about to get real dark, and it's supposed to sleep tonight, and he's not going to have any food, and he probably doesn't know his way home based on where he roams when he leaves it's just a hot mess and i've got to find him and bring him home and i just felt like god saying like that that is my heart for my people that's god's heart for me when i'm roaming all over the place and i'm like there's better out there god you don't even know and i'm gonna go find it and he's like no And he will not give up on me. That's number one. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to. I think God wants to speak to you through any message that you hear from a stage. And the best way to remember it is to write it down. So we're going to have three points. Number one, God will not give up on you. If I, as a, you know, terrible human being that I am, imperfect, can manage to not give up on this little, you know, my husband called rat dog, then... How much more can God, who created us and loved us and died for us, not give up on us? God sees what you did. God sees everything that happened to you. God sees everything that you gave away of yourself to earn someone else's love or respect or appreciation. He's not surprised when we mess up again. If he was surprised or disappointed, it would mean he didn't know it was coming. And that would make him not the God of the universe. But he just loves us. And he's not going to give up on us. He is better for us. But he's not going to give up on us. He says, therefore, in 2.14, Hosea says, therefore, when he has listed how he's going to punish and wall in, he says, therefore, and you're waiting for the hammer to come down. Here are the charges against you. So because of that, I'm going to win your heart back. I'm going to take you away from the situations that you've gotten into because of the choices that you've made. And I'm going to win you back. I'm going to speak tenderly to you and love you and bring you abundance. We deserve hell, but God chose to put his life down in Jesus for us because he will not give up on us. Number two, that we see in Hosea says is that God will not hold out on us. I think that is the thing that I have the hardest time believing throughout my life. Like that that is the first lie that I see Satan telling Eve in the garden. God doesn't really want the best for you. Didn't didn't God say he he you could have everything? Why why is he holding out on you? He mu- he must not want to give you all the good He's, he's holding something back, right? And then their humanity goes. And we still, it, it's in us today. We doubt God's character and that God is who he says he is. Anytime we don't understand, or at least I do, anytime I don't understand what's going on, I, that voice is in my head, maybe God's not good. Maybe he's not as good as he says he is. Maybe he's good to them, but not me. He wants to give them all the things that I long for, and I'm not going to get them. Maybe I'm not enough. Maybe I'm not good enough. But for some reason, God's holding out on me, or he's giving somebody else what I desire. And that's a lie. TJ, my husband, and I just came to our wits' end. I mean, we put up fences. We put up extra fences. The neighbors put up fences. Post's still running. And so we finally just bit the bullet and bought a shock collar. Yeah, I know. yeah, ooh, that's right. And I hated it. I did not want to buy shot collar. I hated the idea of putting him through this pain, and I assure you it is pain, because as a good dog mother, I walked myself, I put it in one hand, and walked myself to the boundary line. I'm like, Dad gummit, if I'm going to make him suffer this, I'm going to suffer it too. And I, it hurts. It hurts a lot. I have to tell you, like, I very nearly cussed a blue streak. And I think I jumped three feet in the air and ran back to the house, which is exactly what Poe does now. (laughs) Because we don't have it on a low setting. He figured out that if it was low, he would just go through the pain and then keep running. There's a whole sermon right there, right? But, so we just cranked that baby up and I marched out there again. I still didn't cuss, okay? Let it be, don't tell Pastor Joe I did. but. But that's because my husband and I know what's out there. Poe thinks we're keeping him from adventure. We're keeping him from an expansive new life, from all of this abundance that he could be having. Our tiny yard is not enough. He could be in a field. He could be meeting every single female dog in a two-mile radius because he's done it. He could be eating really, really gross things that I have to wash off of him. But I know that it's going to get cold. I know he does not know his way back. I know there's probably not food out there. He could end up starving. He could meet a coyote. I hear there are still some around here. If anybody's going to find it, it's going to be my dog. So we decided to hem him in, to put thorn bushes around him to keep him safe and to keep him in abundance. This verse, it says, she says, I'll go after my lovers who give me food and water. God's trying to give us wine and bread and milk and honey, and we we find ourselves chasing, like like my dog, these, these flashy things that look good, but are nothing like what God has for us. He's not holding out on us. It's in the wilderness and in surrender God creates abundance for us. 2.14b and 15a say, I will lead her into the wilderness. That does not sound good. That doesn't sound like a positive. A wilderness is not where you find abundance. It's not where you find vineyards. But he says, I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and make the valley of Acor, which is the valley of trouble, a door of hope. It's in surrender in the wilderness. God might be asking us to come away from the choices that we've made, the places that we have come to, so that we can come back to him, so that we can come back to that obedience. We might need to take a break from friendships that are not influencing us toward Jesus, but might be drawing us away from Jesus. He might be asking us to take a break from the social media or some of the entertainment choices that we're watching because they're continuing the lies that the enemy wants to feed our soul and affecting the way that we're viewing the world. He might be asking us to come away from a job or come away from the comfort because he has something different and something better and it's not going to feel good at first. It's going to feel like we're walking into a wilderness and it's there, there that he can push away every distraction that is clouding our judgment and our ability to hear his voice, and he wants to give us more than we had before. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. It does not say bad things won't happen. Jesus told us trials would happen, but God will use the things that have happened to us. He will use the bad choices that we've made, or just whatever happens in a fallen world, he can use it for good. And he never ever left us. And he will never leave us. If God will give me his son, can't I remember to trust him with the plans I have here on earth? And number three, we see in Hosea here that God will not be fair. God makes it clear over and over again that he is angry and he is jealous over the sinfulness of Israel and the book of Hosea, and fair would be punishment. We know that, right? Pastor Joe's always saying, fair went out in the garden. Because God is creating a way for us. And God is quick to forgive us when we confess our sins. John, 1 John 1, 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And when you add to that, that we don't get what we deserve. But Jesus tells us He came to give us a life that was abundant. Over and beyond, beyond anything you could ask or imagine, God has for you. When we trust in Him. Hosea 2:15 closes with there she will respond as in the days of her youth as in the day she came up out of Egypt. I love that. God wants to bring us back to the first love that we have with him. Israel was in Egypt for 400 years building pyramids that we still see today. And they didn't even have the tools that they needed to make bricks. It was slavery upon slavery, horribleness upon destruction and oppression. And the freedom that they experienced when God brought them out, the freedom that we experience when we realize that we have a deep need for God and he has provided a deep love and a way out for us, that's what God wants to bring us back to. That first love, that being adopted into his family. And I think the thing that keeps me from, from fully experiencing like the peace and the joy of God is just trusting him. It's that surrender. I have so much trouble trusting God. The way I think of it is like a big, giant, overstuffed chair. I used to have this amazing chair. Can you picture a big, giant, overstuffed chair? I had a chair. Let me tell you, it was olive green. I don't know why I sold it, but we did. And it was built for two people. So you could fit lots in there, super cushy, and it had an ottoman. It was like the perfect place to relax and get a blanket or read or cuddle up or whatever. I mean, just imagine like you could just launch yourself into this chair and it would just take you in. It was the best. That's the way I picture trusting God just launching myself into that chair. When I completely surrender to the chair, I am getting everything that the chair has to offer. I have full peace, I have full joy, I am so comfortable. And that's one way to sit in the chair. The other way I can sit in the chair is to walk over and just kind of sit on the edge. And and I'm trusting the chair. You know, I'm, I'm sitting in the chair. I'm going to get a sore back, but I'm sitting in the chair, right, until the chair proves that it is, it's not trustworthy, and then I'm ready to run. I'm just sitting on the edge of my seat like, I trust you, God. I trust you, but, but if you can't handle it, I can handle it. I'll take care of me. I'll take care of me. If you can't can't handle this, I'm I'm ready to jump off the ship. The second God God shows me in my mind that he's not trustworthy, I'm out of here. I'll I'll just take care of it. I got this. And and all I'm doing is depriving myself of everything God has to offer. I'm getting really sore legs, probably bigger quads, but that's not part of God. Right? Right? We, have a, like we say we trust God, but do I really trust God? Like, am the times in my life when I have felt the most peace and the most joy in my relationship with God and have not been the times that were the easiest in our lives. Rarely. Because just like Israel, I so often get to good times and think, we did a good job. We've been working hard. We've been saving our money. We're taking care of the house. The kids are doing good. We're reading every night. Those are not the times I have peace and joy. It's those times that I completely fall on my face and say, God, you take care of it. I trust you. You're a good God, and I believe that you are a good God, and I don't understand how this is going to work out, but you promised that you would work this out for good for me, and I believe you, and I am hanging on to that. I was thinking about what it looks like to have God love us, and it made me think of my papa. My Papaw is actually not my Papaw, he's my husband's Papaw. Um, but I grew up really without grandfathers. I have a grandpa and a Grandpa. I was close to one, not to the other. The one I was close with passed away when I was nine years old. And so I just kind of would adopt older people when I was younger. And, um, but it's not quite the same because you're not really there. You're not really part of their family. And I won't forget that the first time that my husband brought me home, it was a Thanksgiving, and we were serious. And from the minute I walked into Aunt Sonia's house, I felt loved. And Papaw loved me, and I knew it. And we had Christmas um, with them this year. We were out there for Christmas with the whole family, the aunts and the uncles and the grandkids and everybody, and we were eating, and and Papa read a devotional. It was really great, and everybody said what they were thankful for in a circle. And, And then he shared with us that he wants his legacy for us to be that when he dies, we can all stand at his funeral and say, my Papa loved me. And I sat there and I thought, I know that. I could say that right now. And I'll be able to say it one day too. My papa loved me. And he didn't have to. I don't, I don't think he thinks I'm perfect. He's not stupid. And I think if I was younger and he needed to, he would discipline me. But I know he loves me. I love to listen to him pray. He finishes his prayers and he says, Lord, I love you and I need you. And I thought, I need that. How often do I say, I love you, Lord, but I don't say I need you. I want to think that I can take care of things. I want to think that I've got this under control. That man knows God. And he knows he's a human who needs God. God, I love you and I need you. And I don't know if you find yourself in that place today. Maybe you were like me. You were someone who, who felt like a little bit of an orphan. And you, you haven't yet come into the family of God. God longs to draw you in. Papa calls my husband, boy. Come here, boy. Give me a drink, boy. Come talk to me, boy. I love it. And I realized not long ago that he calls me girl. I didn't notice it for a while. Just like all of his other granddaughters. He says, girl. I walk into his house and he says, how you doing, girl? I called to ask him if I could talk about him. And he said, it's okay, girl, don't cry. That's how God feels about you. He says, I love you. Where, right where you're at. Imperfectly. He's not holding out on you. He will never give up on you. Let's come to our feet. These people come up here to pray with us. And this is our chance today. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you have never fully thrown yourself into his arms and experience the peace and the joy and the fulfillment that I'm talking about, we want to pray with you. If you feel like you're the one who's sitting on the edge of your chair, you say you love God, you say you trust God, but if he needs you to take over, you're ready. And it gets tiring. You're so tired of trying to keep all the balls in the air. You're so tired of trying to earn his love and you could just relax these people want to pray with you maybe you walked in here today and you feel like God's tugging on your heart maybe there's something he's trying to draw you out of there's a place where he wants to bring you away from the influences around us and he wants to give you vineyards and the joy of your first love We can pray together today. We're going to sing this song of surrender. I encourage you to think about the words that we sing. As the worship team, we take so seriously the words that we say to God about Him and about ourselves, and come forward at any time.